Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. Paul says, Not that I have obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory, they glory in their shame." with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Now, as I just said before we started recording, we're going to finish this section tonight. When we get back in October, we'll start in chapter 4, and we'll see how many weeks it takes us to get through chapter 4. But there's just been so much here that I just couldn't keep moving because the, I don't want Christians to miss some of the deep things that Paul's dealing with here. And so tonight, well, we saw, well last week we saw that Paul's was hoping to, his hoping to attain to the resurrection of the dead was his desire to receive all that could and would be coming to him at the resurrection of the righteous, otherwise known as the first resurrection. Paul and Peter both, and I'm going to show you that tonight, Paul and Peter both taught that just being saved wasn't the only goal. But growing in our faith and earning eternal reward was. As I've shared with you before, I grew up in a church where the older ladies used to always say, I'll just be glad to be there. That's good enough for me. I just want a little corner in heaven. I'll just be so glad to be there. That's a... And it sounded spiritual to me. It sounded like these were humble, wonderful ladies. But the more I've studied, the more I came to realize they didn't line up with what the Word said. And so Paul said, that's not how he looks at it. He's not happy to just be in heaven. Paul said, I am straining toward what is to come. I know Christ has taken a hold of me. I want everything that he has for me. I want to take a hold of everything that is available. And so what I want you to see here in this passage here in verses 12 through 15, I paraphrase for you here what Paul says. He says, not that I've already obtained all this, but straining toward what is ahead. His focus wasn't, hey, I'm saved. I'm good. What was his focus? There is a life to come. And I am working hard to get everything that God has available to me that he promises for me in that life. Now, was he saying, I hope I get saved? No. He knew he was saved. He knew he was guaranteed eternity. He knew that his spirit had been given as a deposit guaranteeing his inheritance. He had shown us that many times in other writings that he has. Paul wasn't focused on just getting saved. Paul was focusing on the reward, the recompense. The, the, the reckoning, all these things that we're going to see tonight from Scripture that God says is coming for those who are in Christ when we go to see Him face to face. He says, I am straining toward what is ahead. He also called the upward call of Jesus a prize. He's tied it with a prize. And then he said this, those who are mature will think this way. Oh, and then he says, by the way, if any of you disagree with me, you think otherwise, what does he say? God will reveal that to you. And there's something for us there, folks, just as a quick little rabbit to chase. Like I said, if it's worth catching and, and it can be caught and it's going to taste good, we can chase it. We'll chase this one real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 says, The Lord's servant must not quarrel. 
but must gently instruct in the hopes that God will bring them understanding. Paul said, look, I know I'm right. But if you disagree with me, it's not my role to convince you. That is up to the Lord. And if we as Christians would understand that, and we, if we really believed what we believed were biblically true, and we trusted that God were able to communicate it, we wouldn't spend all our time trying to win the argument or win the debate. Years ago, I remember reading this book by this uh, Christian musician who's gone to be the Lord. He died in 1983. His name was Keith Green. And when he first got saved, he used to, after his concert, sit there on the stage afterwards, and he loved to debate theology with people as they'd come up afterwards. And he said it didn't hit him until later on that all they were doing was demonstrating their flesh as they sat there and argued doctrine. Paul says, if you disagree with me on this, the Lord will show you. That's not my job to get you to see it the way I see it. And folks, if we could let that go in some of our debates with our Christian brothers and sisters, we may not all agree on all the areas of doctrine, but are we willing to say that if I'm right, God will show you, or if I'm wrong, God will show me? So Paul said, I haven't obtained all this. I'm straining toward what's ahead. The upward call of Jesus is a prize, and those who are mature will think this way. Now let me show you how Peter described this. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. I was reading one commentary, and he made this statement. He said, uh, Paul and Peter didn't always agree, but in this issue they did. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. Paul and Peter agreed in everything. They're not writing things that are contradictory. But for some reason, this commentator thought that they did. But, but they definitely agree in this area. 1 Peter chapter 1, look at uh, verses 3 through 13. Peter says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the, test, that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Keep reading. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope where? Fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you see what he says? In this passage, he says, praise God, you've already been given a salvation that can't perish, spoil or fade. It's kept in heaven for you. God's got you saved already. And actually, some of you are going through trials. Don't make that question whether or not you're saved. It's actually showing the reality of your faith as you hang on and God hangs on to you. But you are receiving the salvation of your souls. You're obtaining the salvation of your souls. You're saved, yet you're in the process of God doing something in this part of your salvation that actually is going to be tied to when Jesus comes back. And you need to set your hope where? Not, oh God, thanks, I'm saved. 
But we're setting our hope fully on the day that Jesus is coming back. Why? I don't know how many of us remember this, but when Jesus comes back, what does he bring with him according to the scriptures? His reward. Some of your translations say recompense. I'm going to show you that in just a second. Peter says, we are obtaining the salvation of our souls. Set your hope fully on the grace or the gifts that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at Revelation 22. Look at what Jesus says himself. Revelation 22, verse 12. Jesus says, behold, I am coming soon. Revelation 22, 12. Bringing my recompense. Some of your translations say reward. With me to repay each one for what he has done. By the way, he's not bringing everybody reward, is he? No, he's talking to Christians here when he says, I'm coming soon and I'm bringing my reward. I'm bringing my reward when I come. Folks, a lot of us don't realize this. And I pray that, again, I don't try to get into my flesh trying to communicate biblical truth. But the spirit of God will be able to communicate this to you. But sometimes I want to shake people. And say, why are you living for this life? Paul even said in the section of Philippians, he says, I've warned you and I've said even with tears that many, many are focusing on this life. Their God is their stomach. They're so focused on this life, they don't really understand that we're supposed to be not focusing on this life, but focusing on the life to come. And Peter and, and, and Paul have been saying the same things. Jesus says it. Well, what does he say in Matthew chapter 6? A lot of you could quote this once I get it started. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, listen to what Jesus himself says here. In Matthew 6, verses 19 and following, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where your or thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, folks, there's something important here. How do we store up treasure in heaven? It's easy for us to know how to store up treasure here on earth. There's tons of storage units that prove it. <laughs> you ever thought about that? We got so much stuff. There's a multi-billion dollar industry of just storage units to hold all our stuff. How do you store up treasure in heaven? Obedience in Christ. Okay, obedience in Christ. It's done by faith. Not your tithing, your offer, offerings, your giving to things of God. Look at what he says. Where your treasure is, there your heart will follow. Listen closely. Do you want to have a heart for God? Yes. Well, the Bible already told us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, may God himself direct your hearts to his love and to the steadfastness of Christ. But also here Jesus says this. You want to have a heart for God? Put your treasure in things of God. In other words, let me give you a good example. I don't know how many of you have stocks or whatever, but... Yeah, if you have invested some of your money in General Motors, I bet you wake up every morning hoping General Motors does well, hoping they sell cars. You have a heart toward things of General Motors. I knew a friend back in Chicago who had invested in Pepsi and he had filled his refrigerator. I'm not lying. He had filled his refrigerator with Pepsi. And if you came into his house and even used the word Coke, he would get angry because he had invested in Pepsi. And so his focus was where? Where he put his money. Where he put his money and his time and his effort and his heart followed. You want to have a heart for things of God? You give to the things of God that God puts on your heart. Because he not only determines that we're to give, he also determines where. 
See, a lot of times we have thought that being good stewards was taking what God has given us and using it for Him. That's not a biblical definition of stewardship. See, we've been taught all these years, if God's given you money, use it for Him. If He's given you time, use it for Him. If He's given you resources, use it for Him. That's a good steward. But let me ask you a simple question. According to that definition of stewardship, who determines what you do with it? You do. That's not biblical stewardship. Stewardship is not you doing something for God with what He's giving you, but actually you doing specifically what God says to do with what He's given you. You need to not only just give to things of God, you say, God, there's lots of good stuff out there I could give to. Where would you have me give this? What do you have this in mind for? I mean, he even had a fish saying the, saying the same thing. What are these coins in my mouth for? You'll find out. You understand what I'm saying? God has in mind what he wants to do through you for his glory. You want to be a good steward? You don't just go do stuff for God. You let him show you where and how he wants you to do it. You can't do everything, but only do what it is that he's called you and gifted you to do, and you'll find peace and rest and joy. Oh, and by the way, when it is time for you to meet him face to face and you face the judgment seat of Christ, which we're going to look at tonight, he will reward you for what it is that he did through you. If you did it on your own, there's no reward. And we're going to get to the fact that it burns up. So how do we store up treasure in heaven? How do you get a heart for things of God? Put your time and your money and your things in the way God says to the areas of God that he tells you to go give them to. All right. Hey, we support personally in our family. We support a bunch of missionaries all around the globe. But we don't just willy nilly do it. We prayerfully each time and we reevaluate on a yearly by yearly basis. We'd say, Lord, do we still do this? Do we do you want us to add? Do you want us to drop? See, a lot of times we think, well, God wouldn't want me to stop. He may. He might have something else he wants you to do. But what if, we, what if everybody does that? Relax, your God's big. He's going to pay for their bills. Don't worry about it. Just do what he asked you to do. All right. Now, for those who still struggle with this concept of eternal rewards or loss, both Paul and Peter say the same thing to you. And, that, and I want to show you this. This is interesting. Because as I saw this, go back to Philippians chapter 3. I came to realize that both Paul and Peter said, your focus needs to be on the life to come. And not only that, when they both dealt with the fact that there might be those who aren't there yet, they both said the same thing to the people that might struggle with this. Uh, in Philippians chapter 3 here, Paul says in verses 15 and 16, he says, God will reveal this truth to you, but at least live up to what you've already received or attained. Do you see it? At least live up to what you've already got. Let me show you how Peter says it. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. Starting in verse 3 again. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Peter says, His God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are what? Increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was already cleansed from his former sins. 
Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be, you, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at what he says. He says, you, because of your salvation, you've already been given everything you need for life and godliness. So I say to you, stop getting, get over the fact of the fact that you've been forgiven of your past sins. That's, that's old news. Now your focus should be on allowing the Spirit of God within you to start manifesting the evidence of His Spirit within you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, kind of like this list He has here. You should now be focusing on that. Not that you need to be more patient or you need to be more kind, but as the Spirit of God shows you you're lacking in patience or lacking in kindness, you need to then say, okay, Lord, this is an area where you're going to have to produce this in me. Let's begin this journey here. And I'm going to work on letting you do this, not me doing it. I'm going to believe that you will. And you watch how God works on that area of your life. And then he'll work on another area. And then he'll work on another area. And so in the same way, we are to be focusing on what God wants to do now. And he said, if we don't, we're nearsighted. We're blind. By the way, I understand that. A lot of you see me and you think, man, that's a good looking guy. But you don't realize I wear contacts. If you saw my glasses, I'm not kidding you. I'm one of those people that would have really, really thick glasses. And I do. Coke bottles. I have those. For those of you that understand eyes and numbers for contacts, my right eye is seven. My left eye is 750. I can't tell if you're male or female if I'm not wearing my contacts right now. I literally would have to hold things right here because I can't see. I am so nearsighted. I'm pretty much blind without the correction. And Paul says, if you're still focusing on, boy, I hope I go to heaven when I die, you're blind to what's already been done. That's why the Hebrew writer says, man, we should be moving on to these other things. Why are we to keep going back? Let's move forward. If you're mature, you're going to be focusing on, thank God I'm saved. I praise the Lord and I'm going to heaven. But now let's get some of this reward that's coming as I learn to let him have control in my life. And he'll reward me for what's been done in the body. You're about to see whether good or evil. And we say, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Well, relax. We'll get there in just a second. Paul says, you've already forgotten what you've been given. If you practice growth, you will be richly rewarded upon entrance into Jesus' eternal kingdom. Did you catch that? Is the promise of being richly rewarded for those who just say, I'm glad I'm going to heaven? No, you're about to see in just a second here in this next passage we're going to that the Bible actually says for those who say, I'm just glad I'm going to heaven, who are saved, they're going to be in heaven. But the Bible says they will suffer loss for eternity. Now, I know that goes against what we've been taught because we've all been taught that heaven's so wonderful. We'll just be glad to be there and everybody's just equal. The Bible does not teach that everyone is equal for eternity. It does not teach that at all. The Bible actually says in the millennial kingdom, there'll be some who rule and reign with Christ. Others who won't have that much responsibility or leadership because they have not been faithful down here. Oh, and I don't know how it plays out for eternity, but you can even see that there are some who are in this position, if you will, for eternity. And some are in this position. There are those who get to inhabit the heavenly Jerusalem and those who are outside the heavenly Jerusalem. And folks, I don't know how it all plays out. Anybody starts getting too specific, they're going outside the scriptures. But I want you to hear this. What happens after salvation that God wants to accomplish in and through you will determine forever and ever and ever your status in the life to come. And most Christians are ignorant about this. Well, so let's 
what does the scripture actually tell us about this time of future reward? Go to 1 Corinthians 3. A couple of you have already started to quote from this passage, and I'm glad. That means that you're, you're ahead of me. I'll try to catch up. 1 Corinthians 3, look at verses 10 through 15. Paul says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Now he's dealing with a church that's arguing over, oh, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, and so on. And he's just simply saying, hey, these are, we're all individuals who are doing what God's told, to, told us to do. We're stewards of God's grace. No one's any better than anybody else. I planted, Apollos watered. God's the one who actually made the increase. So he says, I laid the foundation, and each one has to be careful how he builds on that foundation. For verse 11, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Another passage, by the way, that says Jesus is the only way to the Father. There's no other foundation that can be laid except Jesus Christ. Now, verse 12, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each one's work will become manifest for the day, that's the day of judgment, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you see it? We're going to have a day when each of us, after the foundation has been laid of faith in Jesus Christ, are going to be judged according to what we've done since then. And it's going to be measured. Now, as I was reading this, God brought something to my mind that I hadn't thought about in years. Years ago, when I was in high school, we had this shop class where it was kind of shopping, kind of architecture at the same time. And we had to build a bridge that was the size of someone's foot. But we had to build it out of tongue depressors. And we had to use the architectural stuff that they had taught us for how to build a strong bridge. And we all only could use tongue depressors and Elmer's glue. And the final exam was the, the teacher, which was a big man, about six foot four, 260 pounds, would set our bridge on two desks. And he would get up and he would stand with that one foot on our bridge. If it held him, we passed. If it didn't, we... We passed, but we didn't get the A. You understand what I'm saying? And I just thought about that. It's just what's going to happen is like, we might, look what I made. And I, I can still remember some of the people going, that one's a good one. I'm proud of this. And then as soon as it was tested, it blew apart. I don't really remember how well mine does, but I can promise you I probably used a whole tube of glue on it. Because back then, I figured the more glue, the better. God is one day, and I'm going to show you the next passage that deals with that, going to measure everything we've done after salvation. He's not going to judge our sins. They've already been taken care of. They've already been dealt with. All sins have already been dealt with at the cross. That's not the issue. Thank God it's already gone. Anybody that doesn't understand this is nearsighted and blind, and you've forgotten you've been cleansed from your sins. Okay? But now, since that point, God has been trying to, in each of our lives, accomplish some things. To some, he's given five in the parable of the talents. To other, others, he's given two and others one. Each according to their ability. And oh, by the way, the one who did the, had the five and turned it into ten was told, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's your reward. The one who had been given two and turned it into four was told the exact same thing. Here's your reward. But oh, listen, there was level difference in the reward. 
God's been trying to accomplish some things in you and through you for his glory. And one day, you're going to stand before him and you will be judged according to what you've done. After salvation. Will it last? Will it pass the test and then you be richly rewarded? Or will you suffer loss? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at what Paul says here. Paul says, for we know, verse 1, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, and we're going to go through verse 10. We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, he's talking about our bodies. And I love the fact that Paul used the word tent because Paul was a tent maker. And, you know, tents were what? Temporary dwellings. Some of us have a double man tent. Some of us have pup tents, but some, we have tents for our bodies. OK. To so some we're given five, another two and never mind. All right. So. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by this life. Think back to how many times Paul keeps talking about, he can't wait until he gets the new body. Listen, I'm not going to say this is how it works, but I wonder if, if part of the reward that is coming, please hear me, this is Jim speculating, not Jim teaching. But I wonder, because of the connections to getting our new glorious bodies, I wonder if part of the reward is tied to what some of the attributes of our glorious bodies are going to be for eternity. That is a strong possibility. We're all going to have eternal heavenly bodies. But is there a chance that they're not all exactly the same? In other words, some can fly and some can't. That some have more glory than others. The Bible talks about that. Let me just tell you, if we think about it, back when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they walked with God. By the way, when Moses was in the presence of God. What happened when he came out of God's presence? He had a glow that was reflective. Just being in God's presence, he had a glow that was reflective to the point that everybody else was freaked out by it. Adam and Eve walked with God. They were naked but had no shame. I think it's partially because they had a glory because of their sinlessness that was like God's. I think the realization of their nakedness was when they sinned, I believe they lost that glory. And their nakedness was now a lot more evident I wonder, and again, another study for another time, if you start looking at glory and how the Bible talks about of glory to come, and sometimes it's tied to our bodies, I wonder if in the life to come, part of the glory that we're going to receive is tied to the Shekinah glory that God is going to give us in our bodies are going to be like His. And I wonder if some will have a greater glory than others. Because it seems a lot that Paul keeps tying these rewards to this new body that we get. I throw that out to you to just go dig and chew on that. But that's something to think about. He says here, verse 4, For while we're still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so what mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God and has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, 
We're always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage, and we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now listen, this is not dealing with sin. Please get this understood. This sin has already been dealt with at the cross. Jesus has already taken care of all that. Now when he talks about what's been done, good or evil, he's not talking about morally good or morally bad. A better translation that might help you with these words is what is eternally valuable or worthless. We're going to be, didn't we see that in 1 Corinthians 3? If we build with gold, silver, precious stones, it'll make it through the fire and we'll be rewarded. It'll have eternal value. It'll make it into heaven and affect our future. If it doesn't, it'll burn up and we will suffer loss. We're missing out on what it is that God could have rewarded us for, but we're now not going to. Again, did you ever notice that the Bible says that in heaven God will wipe away every tear from their eyes? We've always assumed that when we get to heaven, there's no more tears. No, he don't need to wipe tears if once we leave here, we go there and there's no more tears. What if there are tears at the judgment seat? What if we realize what we've missed out on? I told you before, Adrian Rogers said if he had to live his life over again, he would have believed God for more because he's come to realize that he's missed out on a lot God wanted to do through him, but he didn't believe him. He says, we're all going to face the judgment seat of Christ. And one day God's going to judge what we've done in the body. Remember, we've already seen it from 1 Corinthians 3 after salvation, whether or not it had eternal value or whether or not it was worthless. Now, Jim, you're freaking me out. How do I do it? We make it our goal to what? To please him. Listen closely. Always let scripture interpret scripture. How does the Bible say you please God. Does anybody know? Faith. faith. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God that you must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Father, I realize now that maybe I haven't used these years as much as I ought. But as I grow in my knowledge of you, as you're opening my eyes, I now realize I might even have a few years left. But what and then all of a sudden he'll start showing you passages like Joel chapter 2 where he says, I'll repay you for the years the locusts have eaten and I'll do through you in these, lot, in your, these years what it will be amazing if you'll just let me. The eyes of the Lord, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, roam to and fro throughout the earth looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Folks, let me just tell you, what did Paul say? Forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. That's my focus. Could Paul have beat himself up for a lot of years wasted? Could Paul have beat himself up for the fact that not only had he wasted in man's eyes, but also killed a lot of Christians who knew this stuff before he did? Yes. Could he have felt condemnation and, 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 and shame? No. He said he could have, but he didn't. God took a hold of me. And I want everything that's available to me now from here on out. And my life is not focused on this life. It's focused on the one to come. Let me show you a couple of the passages real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verses 1 through 5. I want you to look closely at how God's going to measure what you've done after salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. 
But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. I wish I had seen those verses years ago when I was a pastor. Because I spent too much time worrying what everybody thought about me. But for me, it's a small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. And therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of what? Of your heart. Then each one will re receive his commendation from God. God's not only going to judge what you did after salvation. He's going to judge whether or not it's worthwhile by what? Whether it came from the proper heart. See, you can do the right thing and it burn up. Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons? And he'll say, yeah, that's all impressive. And you know what? I even used it. What did Paul say? He said, there are some people that are preaching Christ to make me look bad. I don't care. Christ being preached. Hey, by the way, is Jonah going to get rewarded for his sermon at Nineveh? I mean, come on. The whole city responded. No, Jonah's heart was not in it. Jonah's heart was not. Did God use it? Oh, man, over these years, we used to always this, be shocked when this preacher or that preacher fell into horrible sin. And we're like, found out later on it had been going on for many years. But God was using him. And yeah, God can use donkeys. He can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. It ain't about the man. He, he used Pharaoh. It's, it ain't about us. But I'll tell you one thing. The Bible also says that when it comes time for him to reward us, he's going to measure the attitude of your heart. Oh, yeah, you might have showed up for church work day, but you grumbled the whole way there and the whole way back, put a fake smile on your face the whole time you were there. And guess what? Well, how does Jesus say it? Go to Matthew chapter 6 and I'll say how Jesus says it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. He says, and when you pray, you don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will what? Reward you. Hey, I got to be honest. I'm just going to make a confession to you guys today. I pastored for 20 years and God did awesome things during those years. And God, for his glory, blessed people through what he did through me. But I want you to listen closely. Most of what God did through me in a lot of those years, I won't be rewarded for. Because I was fulfilling a job and fulfilling a job description. And a lot of times I was doing what I thought man wanted just to make man happy. And my heart wasn't there. My attitude was poor. Oh, I did it, but I did not do it with the proper heart. And I did it for man's praise. Oh, pastor, thank you for coming by. And I didn't want to be there, but they were glad I was there. And the Bible says one day when I stand before him, he's going to say, you already received your reward. You did it for why you did it. You didn't do it for me. You did it for man. You already got your reward. Folks, I'm just going to lay it out to you now. Don't beat yourself up trying to examine your heart. What did Paul say? He said, I can't even judge myself. I wouldn't give myself a fair assessment. I, I think I'm okay, but that doesn't mean I'm innocent. God knows my heart. And what did David say? He said, Lord, I want you to examine me. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the path of everlasting righteousness. In other words, you don't need to sit back and see how am I doing. 
the Lord will show you where your heart is. Don't need to examine yourself in too much. He'll show you where your heart is. But if your heart is, Lord, let's go from here. I want to be rewarded. I want, to, I want everything that is coming to me or could come to me at the time when I see you face to face. And I can't wait to see you, but that's not enough because you said it's not to be enough. I want to see you when we're going to have a hard time hugging because your arms are full of the stuff you want to give to me. Because you said it and I believe you and I'm going to take you at your word. Now, we got to deal with a tough issue. I'm not going to have you turn there, but if you remember already back in Philippians chapter 1, Paul said when he was struggling with them that he's going to stay in the body or go to be with the Lord. He was struggling, ah, if I go, it's going to be with Christ. If I stay, it's more fruitful labor. In other words, if I stay in the body, I'll get more reward. That's why it was a wrestling match. Do I go and be with him, which would be awesome? Or do I stay in the body and get more reward for the day when I go be with him? That's a toughie. So what should our mindset be? What should our mindset be? Actually, I didn't realize it until I was digging into this. It's right here. Paul answers verse 11 with verse 20. Let me remind you of verse 11. He says, um, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Look at verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Again, he's looking forward to the coming of Jesus and what it's going to, how it's going to affect His body. But his focus was where? On the life to come. If you make your focus the life to come. How many of us have ever heard the old phrase, Well, you'd be so heavenly minded, you know earthly good. That is not biblically true. The ones who are really focusing on the life to come actually are going to be of more effect down here because they're going to be walking with the Lord and focusing on the Lord. Oh, how does 1 John say it? 1 John 3 says that, uh, well, I want you to see it. I want you to see it. I could quote it to you, but I really want you to see it. Don't take my word for it. 1 John chapter 3, look at what he says. Look at verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Do you see it? If you're focused on heaven, your life's going to get better. You're going to be of more effect down here on this earth. You're not going to be so heavenly minded you're no earthly good because you're going to be focusing on the life to come, knowing that what God's going to use as his measurement for the life to come is what's going on here. It's the opposite. All these years in the church, we've been hearing Satan say the lies to us over and over. So heavenly minded, no earthly good. It's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite if you look at the scriptures and let them speak. So... In Colossians chapter 3, turn over one book. I'm not going to dig into this because we're going to, when we get to Colossians and that book, we're going to dig into this in detail. I want to just read to you chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And, and I want you, as I'm reading this, to look at how Paul's focus is on the eternal and things of eternal value. All right, Colossians 3. And now I'm going to give you a quiz, by the way, after this. So I don't want you to just say, okay, Jim, I want you to be looking because I'm going to ask you, what are some of the things in this passage that show that Paul's focus was on the eternal and things of eternal value? All right. In Colossians chapter three, verse one, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, uh, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not... Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which bind everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving or thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. How was his focus in this whole section here on the eternal and the things of eternal value? At the very beginning, he says, seated at the right hand of God. Yes, right. Set your mind on things above where you are already there. If you've been raised with Christ, which we have, Ephesians 2, 6 says we're already seated in the heavenly realms in some way that's hard for us to grasp, but we are because we're in him and he's in us and he's there and we're here, but we're there and he's here and we're, we're there. Our focus should be there. What else? Look at this list of saying no to the things of the flesh. He said, don't be living toward things of the flesh. What's going to happen to your flesh when you leave this place and go to the real life? It's going to be left behind. Our focus then should not be on the things of the world and things of the flesh, but on the life to come. What else does he say? Our focus should now be on what? Patience, kindness, humility, gentleness. But what about my rights? I'm not living for this world. Remember when Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and they were taking each other to the courts? He said, why can't you be wronged? Why are you worried about it? Why are you worried about winning the case? If you're worried more about the life to come, you're not so worried about whether or not you win in this life. How many of us, I know some of you are going to get angry if I go here, but I'm going to do it anyway. How many of us watch the beheadings and think we need to go take care of those people? I keep reminding people, it's like, if you have read your Bible at all, yes. this it's not only been going on, the book of Revelation says that it's going to happen even more. Think about it. And during, during the time of the tribulation, the Bible even has been saying for thousands of years that they would be beheaded for their faith. But it's all so that everyone will know he is God. Exactly. But see, we, we get so focused on we've got to make things right in this life. Yet, what does Jesus say that we're to do toward our enemies? Pray for them and love them. Folks, let's be honest. <laughs> we don't want to do that, do we? We're more focused on justice now. Oh, there'll be justice. God says, don't worry about repayment. God will repay. And he keeps track of everything, even stuff we don't see. 
But right now, we're to be focused more on reaching out to these people in love and offer them the forgiveness that's already been given and provided through Jesus Christ, and they have to just receive it. But Jim, they need to... Don't worry, governments have been given that responsibility. You let the governments handle that kind of stuff. As Christians, we shouldn't be getting all up in arms trying to say, let's go kill them. As Christians, we'd be praying for these people that Jesus would reveal himself to them. Hey, if God wants... I believe in capital punishment. The Bible teaches that kind of a thing. Let the governments handle that kind of stuff. Christians, we need to be praying for these people because time... Would we not agree that time is getting really short here on this earth that means time for them is getting very short and as much as we just laughed about the fact that Jonah didn't want the Ninevites to get saved but God did we have the same attitude today don't we toward those across the globe there are more Muslims coming to Christianity at a faster pace than ever before God's doing an amazing work in the Muslim world right now of bringing people to him but at the same time what's starting to happen is because we lose sight of the fact that we are to be focusing on the life to come not this one we can even lose sight as mature Christians when it comes to things like this that's right he died for them. He died for them as much. And that's why in here, all these things that talk about humility and patience and kindness and gentleness, that's the only way that's possible if you're focusing on the life to come, that God's in control and God had mercy on me. I'm to have mercy on them. Anybody have an issue with somebody? Forgive them just in the same way Christ forgave you all the way through this. man. just praise God, whatever you do in word or deed, do it with your focus on God. That's going to change a whole lot of stuff. And you're about to see us, by the way, get to that when we get back in October and get to chapter four, when he starts saying over and over and over, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Whatever you're worried about, give it to him. He'll give you peace. He didn't say he'll change it, but he will you put your eyes on him and focus on him. So what I want to do in the 10 minutes that we have left is I want to deal with a question that arises from verses 17 uh, and uh, um, 18 and 19 of Philippians chapter three. There are those in Christendom who use chapter 3 of Philippians, verses 17, 18, and 19, to teach that anything pleasurable in this life is sin. Listen to what Paul says again in verses 17, 18, and 19. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, and their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. And there are Christians over the years who have had an attitude using this verse that have said, Oh, you played golf? Your focus should be on things above, not on things of this earth. You, you bowl, you eat out, you play cards. Your focus should not only be on things of this earth, but your mind should be on things of the life to come. And there are those who have taken these verses to teach things that are contrary to the whole of Scripture. So I'm going to ask you a question. Is any kind of pleasure in this life sinful? No. He wants us to live abundant life. He might have abundant, but yes. They would say abundance comes in just focusing on God. And saying no to anything earthly. Well, I want to use scripture to interpret scripture. My role is to equip you for what it is that God wants to do in and through you. So let me equip you by showing you some verses that you may or may not have seen to help you in this area to balance biblical truth with false teaching. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, I want you to go there. 1 Timothy chapter 4, look at verses 1 through 5. First Timothy chapter four, verses one through five. 
It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of, of demons, through the insanity of liars whose consciences are seared, in other words, they get their hearts so hard they don't even hear truth, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. There are going to be those who say, you're not allowed to eat this, you're not allowed to drink that, you're not allowed to do these things. But you need to let the whole of Scripture interpret Scripture. Here, it's very clear. He says, watch out for those who will try and say, don't eat this or don't eat that. Actually, there's a passage in the book of Mark where Jesus is teaching, and it clearly says this. After Jesus said, it's not what goes into your body, but what comes out that actually defiles you. And it says right after that, by saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He didn't declare all foods clean in Acts chapter 10 when Cornelius wants to be saved and, and Peter has the vision where God says, don't you call unclean what I call clean. That wasn't the first time he declared it clean when he said, rise, kill and eat. Back in the Gospels, when Jesus was teaching, it clearly said, by this, Jesus declared all foods clean. So why did God have in the Old Testament that you weren't allowed to eat the cloven hooves and all that kind of stuff? Because I had someone write me recently and they say, well, uh, I was told by this one teacher that God doesn't change. Hebrews 13, 5, 8. God is the same yesterday, today and forever. Therefore, if that was the law in the Old Testament, it's the law now because God doesn't change. And I was like, you got to be careful about those who will take a verse and some human logic and try to build a doctrine that doesn't match up with Scripture. Actually, if you do a study on this, you'll find that the part of the reason why God said to them in that time was they didn't know about germs and the proper cooking of meat and things like that. But at a certain point, it was okay now. At the same thing with why he said if you touch a dead body, you can't touch anybody else for a, for a week. You're unclean. We didn't know it until the time of the Black Plague that the doctors were working from dead body to dext and trying to heal people. They were getting everybody sick. Nowadays, they put on gloves and they know, we know a little bit more about germ warfare and all these things and Ebola and all that stuff that's going on. Part of the laws that God gave were because he was protecting them. But there comes a time where he says, okay, it really wasn't about the law as much as it was pointing to who I am. And here in the New Testament, we see for the church, don't let anyone judge you whether or not you keep a new moon festival or Sabbath day. Those were all a shadow of what was to come. The reality has been found in Christ. Has God changed? No. All along it has been by faith in Christ. Ask Abraham who believed God and God credited to him as righteousness. All along it's been about a relationship with God by faith. That's what the law and the prophets had testified to all along. Romans chapter 3 verse 20 and 21. So there are those who will come and say that as Christians we're to abstain from anything fun. That doesn't match up with scripture. Let me show you in a couple other places. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17, 18, and 19. Paul says again, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to what? To enjoy. Oh, let me ask you a question. Jesus said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Correct? Where do we see Jesus? Parties. At parties. Wedding. Wedding feasts, eating at people's houses, banquets. By the way, has anybody ever caught that most of the times that God talks about salvation as an offer of salvation, it's to come and eat. Come to a banquet. Wedding supper. Wedding supper banquet. 
Behold, I potluck, I like it. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. By the way, fried chicken is finger food. When they have finger food, fried chicken is finger food. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open, I will open. Come in and what? We'll eat together. Folks, enjoying food is not a bad thing. Enjoying recreation is not a bad thing. Jesus says, come away with me by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Let's go get a boat ride, guys. Of course, there's deeper teaching going on there. But at the same time, we cannot fall prey to those who would come and say, if you're focused on this life at all, you're not godly. It's not what the Bible teaches. God's given us many things to enjoy, and that's a wonderful thing. And I ain't guilty about teaching on a cruise ship. Can't wait. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be a time of worship where we experience and enjoy the blessings that God's given us. Especially in these day and age to live in such luxury in these boats and we're going to worship the Lord and we're going to have music music and there's going to be hopefully some good teaching and there's going to be a chance to witness to other people and we're going to enjoy food and recreation and see parts of the world. It's a wonderful thing. Folks, all along the Bible has taught that God wants us to enjoy what he's given. But we also have to be careful because along with that comes opportunities for those things to also pull us away from God. And the Christian life is learning balance. I'm not going to have you turn there, but if you want to even look at it in more, I wrote down in my notes here, the issue is our hearts. And can we enjoy what we're doing with worship, thanksgiving, and no conviction? Because if it is something that you're not supposed to be doing, at least for even a season, the Spirit of God will show you that. In Romans 14, you can go look at it later on. The whole chapter, Paul says, Some consider one day more sacred than another. Everyone, others consider every day alike. Some eat vegetables and that's it. Others eat meat and they think that's okay. Don't judge the Lord's servant. Each foot should be fully convinced in your own mind. And you need to make sure that you know that what you're doing is okay by the Lord. And don't spend your time trying to get everybody else like you. If there's something that God needs to work on in this person's life, if it's sin, you who are spiritual, who've already built a loving relationship, go to them gently and they'll hear your love. Don't be, take it as your opportunity to go and condemn and bring judgment. You don't know the heart. You don't know what God's approved or not approved. I could told you before, I could show you a couple of places in Scripture where it looks like God broke his rules. I mean, didn't God say you are not to bow down to any other gods? I mean, that's one of the biggies, wasn't it? Yet in 2 Kings chapter 5, when Naaman's healed of leprosy, and he says, uh, goes and he says, hey, can I, can I pay you? And pre, the, the, the prophet says, no. He says, well, can I ask one more thing? And the guy said, sure, what's that? He said, can I have some Israelite soil? Can you give me a bag of Israelite dirt so when I go back to Aram, I can worship God on Israelite soil? He says, sure, get a sack of it, go for it. There's plenty of it. He says, one more thing. When I go back as right-hand man to the king, he bows to the god Rimen, and when he does, he leans on my arm. My body will be bowing before this idol, but my heart will be bowing before God. Is that all right? And in that instance, the prophet led of the Lord said, go in peace. Oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not given the same peace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told not to bow down. They could have also said, hey, 
Our hearts will be bowing to the true God. Our bodies will be bowing to this statue of Nebuchadnezzar. But in that instance, God said, no, that's why we've got to let God be God and let individuals in their walk with him. If you disagree with me, the Lord will show you, Paul says. He's got a plan for each of our lives. So watch out for those who will try to take some verses and turn them into a law for everyone. That's not what it means to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me wrap up with this illustration. Years ago, there was a group of uh, people that I'm not going to say their names. It was a ministry by this one man, and they were all, all, a lot of his followers uh, were called by his name. And they were very strict, very legalistic. And one day, when I was in Chicago, two wonderful, godly young men showed up at our church, and they actually were a part of this movement. And I have to be honest with you. They not only were a part of the movement, they worked at the headquarters for the ministry. And I was scared because I thought, oh boy, two legalistic young men are going to come into this church and do damage. And they were actually two of the strongest, closest walking with the Lord young men I've ever met in my life. And they were mature and they had an understanding of balance. And so finally, after we got to know them, and we're still friends to this day, and they're both living in Houston now. I pulled them to the side and I said, okay, you got to help me out. I've dealt with people from your group before. You are the most balanced I've ever met. You're not like them. He said, the thing that has separated we've, for us where we are, for us but the rest of the group is this. They said, when you have a piece of cardboard and it gets bent, in order to get it back to where it needs to be or where it was, you can't just put it back to where it was. Because if you know anything about cardboard, it'll still kind of be bent this way. So in order to get cardboard back to where it needs to be, you have to bend it beyond for a time and then allow it to come back. He said, the people of our group have taken that truth of the fact that if something's out of whack in your life, you need to bend it beyond for a time, but they don't let it come back. They keep it bent in the other way. For example, some of you, you may have a problem with television or your computer or certain things that maybe it's romance novels or whatever, that the Lord says this is losing its proper balance right now. And he says, I want you to go put the TV in the closet for a month. That's when God says, we got a problem and we're going to, for the purposes of what I'm trying to do, I'm going to move the cardboard beyond for a time. The legalists are the ones who leave it in the closet and the cardboard has just been bent in the other way. But a Christian that understands that the Lord will for a time say you're not to do this, then he'll say it's okay now. There are times that he, he will walk you through. There is clear issue in the scripture that what is sin, he'll never say, hey, it's okay to leave your spouse. No. He's not going to say it's okay to cheat on your wife. No. There are those things that are very, very clear. He's not going to say homosexuality is okay in this instance. No. But when it comes to other issues that the Bible hasn't already declared sin, we need to let God be God. And each of us learn what it means to follow him in obedience to him. And so I say to you, are there those whose God is their stomach? Yes. Have there been times that that's been a problem in Jim Johnson's life too? The answer is yes. And I promise you, you've struggled with it a time or two. It doesn't have to be eating. It could be whatever. But you for a time got focused on things of this life a little bit too much. And God said, we got to get this fixed. Those who mature will listen when he says, we're going to take it away for a while. But they're also the ones who say, it's okay to come back now because you've understood what balance is. All right? So, is it okay to have pleasure in this life? Yeah, God gave us lots of things to enjoy. 
But just make sure that you're not under conviction of the Holy Spirit. But if he says no, it doesn't mean no forever. He might just say no for a season or he might say no. He'll tell you when. But don't make it your job to tell everybody else what God is saying to them. As we already saw earlier tonight, I can't even judge my correct judgment about myself. How am I to know what's supposed to be going really in your life? And yet, is not that one of the biggest issues we've had in the church over the years? We've all been raised in the kind of churches where everybody's been told they get an equal say, an equal vote. And without realizing it, that means we get to decide what kind of a car you're supposed to drive or whether or not you're supposed to wear this or that. And Man, you want to enjoy your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? Ease up on everybody around you and learn to listen to the Lord within you and watch what happens. You'll actually be more fun to hang around. And actually, God will get his stuff done. And I promise you, as it says in Romans 14, you can go double check it. It's up to the Lord whether or not his servant stands or falls. And then Paul says this, and the Lord is able to make him stand. You know what? You may disagree with some things I said. If what I said was biblically true, the Lord will show you. It's not my job to win the argument. At the same time, there might be some things that God still has to show me. Do like my wife does. Make a prayer list and pray to the Lord that the Lord will show me. I thank God for a wife who realized that her telling me what needs to be fixed didn't work. But she would make things a matter of prayer. And in God's time and in God's way, it got changed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for the fact that all throughout your word, we could spend weeks just on one verse. There's so much depth because it's alive. It's you speaking. It's like us sitting at your feet and you trying to explain things to us and, be, and beginning to explain things to us. And then as you do, we start to see how it all ties together. It's not just one lesson. The whole book just fits so wonderfully together because it's you. It's wisdom. And wisdom is calling out to us right now. Father, my prayer is that each of us individually, how it applies with our lives, would be willing to listen, and not only that, but to apply by faith the things that you've shown us. Lord, set our minds on things above and show us individually what that looks like. May we not make it our job to tell everybody else what focusing on you is going to look like or how we're to be giving or where do we be worshiping or how we're to be worshiping or whatever. Father... May our focus be on you so much that we don't even fight anymore over about what music should be used. Lord, thank you for what you're going to do during this time as we do this. And as we move into the next section in a month, Lord, I pray that we'll be able to all come back. Unless you come and get us between now and then, and that's good with everybody in the room. I know that. But Father, at the same time, if it be your will that we be back together, we look forward to that because you've got something good in mind for us on the 7th of October as well. We pray this in your name. Amen.